want to um, welcome all of you who are guests with us this morning and give you uh, another welcome. Um, we're glad to have you. Uh, I am not Tim Bailey, in case you were wondering. Pastor Bailey is uh, in Mississippi, I think it is. Um, yeah, Charleston, Mississippi. How many of you know Andy Halsey? How many of you know the Halseys? Okay, quite a few of you. Um, for those of us who are newer, we don't know Andy and his wife, but they, uh, Andy Halsey is just being ordained today in a Presbyterian church in Mississippi. He, he was from our church, went out, went to seminary, and is uh, now being ordained and in, installed as the pastor of a church. And Pastor Bailey is there today doing the ordination service and preaching that. So that's where the Baileys are. And uh, I actually wanted, to, I meant to pray for them and pray for Andy uh, when I was praying a moment ago and I forgot to. So uh, it's in the bulletin. Keep them in mind. Pastor of a new church, that's going to be a difficult thing. Uh, we can be praying for them. Um, I was saying to, uh, to Pastor Carell the other day that um, <clears throat> I've always wanted to preach through the book of Revelation. And one of these days I hope to do so. And hearing these chapters read to us again, as, uh, as our scripture lessons, as we go through consecutively through a whole book of the Bible, we do this all the time. And uh, going through the book of Revelation has really wanted me to, or made me want to preach through that again. It's just a fantastic and wonderful book of the Bible. It's one of my favorite books. And unfortunately, it's one of those books that uh, many people shy away from. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's the only thing that uh, John Calvin never wrote a commentary on. <laughs> so... Who am I to want to preach through the book of Revelation? But I do. But I'm not going to preach through the book of Revelation today. I want you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. And look with me at verses 14 through 22. If you know how the book of Revelation is, is set up, it's, uh, the first few chapters are um, kind of dictation. It's, it's, it's Jesus Christ, the one we see at the beginning of the book, dictating letters for John to write down, for John then to give to these churches, the seven churches in this, in this uh, geographical location, Asia Minor, over what is like modern-day Turkey, that neck of the woods. And so he speaks words, Jesus Christ speaks words to particular churches and tells them the things that he likes about those churches and the things that he doesn't like. And sometimes it's all bad and sometimes it's all good. More often than not, it's a little bit of both. But in chapter 3, verses 14 to 22, this is uh, Jesus' words to the church in Laodicea, a uh, town in this area that we would think of as Turkey. And um, everything that he says here to them is negative. He doesn't have anything good to say about them, like he does some of the other churches. And, um, but at the same time, he's incredibly encouraging to them. I want you to follow along. Listen to these words, Revelation 3, 14 to 22. I'm reading from the ESV. I think this is probably the New American Standard, so it might be a little bit different. Sorry about that. I'm, I meant to get that to the slide person. But just follow along in your Bible and, and uh, let me read it. He says, verse 14, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. 
I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers... I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus is telling us basically three things. As he's talking to the church in Laodicea, he's also talking to us, and he tells us three things. Number one, we need to be something. Number two, we need to know that we are nothing. And number three, we, want to, we need to want Jesus more than anything. We need to be something, know we're nothing, want Jesus more than anything. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Number one, we need to be something. Now, you think about these words, and um, these, if, you've, if you've spent time in the Bible at all, you've come across these words, you've come across this idea, where Jesus says to people, He says to this church, I wish you were either hot or cold. I wish you were either cold or hot. You're lukewarm. I wish you were either cold or hot. And we have to think about, what in the world does that mean? I used to think, uh, up until last week, as I was getting ready to preach this, I used to think that he was talking about um, personal spiritual vitality, you know, personal spiritual feelings. You know, you're either cold or you're hot. You're either on fire for God or you're kind of cold and indifferent or, or totally opposed to him or you're kind of somewhere in the middle, kind of lukewarm and indifferent. And um, that's how this, this passage is usually thought of. Hot people are on fire for God. Cold people are actively opposed to God and lukewarm people are this indifferent crowd. They're hypocrites. They couldn't care less. They're somewhere in the middle. You know, they might kind of go through the motions. Uh, they might go to church. They might do all the things that uh, you know, they're supposed to do outwardly. But inwardly, they're not really, you know, they yawn you know, when they hear the Word of God. They don't, couldn't care less. Now, I talked to people, um, talked to my wife. I talked to several people as I was thinking about this passage. And that is the way I have always thought about it. That's the way everyone I've talked to has always thought about it. A lot of the sermons I read, a lot of the commentaries I read, that's the way they've always thought about it. So, if that's the way you think about it, you're in the majority. Um, and uh, I'm here to say that I think it's wrong. <laughs> All right? So, I want to tell you what I think it means. Um, you know, <clears throat> part of the interpretation that's common says that Jesus would rather have you, remember what he says, either be cold or hot, either be on fire or be completely opposed to me. What I can't stand is this middle ground nonsense, wishy-washy, mushy stuff. Is that what he's saying? I don't think it is. Look at what he says. Let me ask you a question. Who is he writing to? Who is he talking to? Okay, Christians where? In a church, in a particular church, in a particular town. The whole three chapters, first three chapters of the book of Revelation, he's writing not to individual people, but to churches. To the church. When it says to the angel in the church, he's not talking about some spirit being. Uh, the word angel is the same word that can be translated messenger. And so most people think when he says to the angel of the church in Laodicea or, or wherever it is, he, he's talking about uh, the pastor or the, the one who stands as the messenger to the church. All right, so he's talking to the church. He's talking to the pastor of the church. 
talking to the pastor and then to the pastor through the church, or through the pastor to the church. He's talking to the church. He's not talking about individual people or talking to individual people. Now, of course, churches are made up of individual people, but he's talking to the church. All right, secondly, Jesus doesn't say, well, what does he say? He says, I know your what? Your works. He doesn't say, I know your heart. I know your feelings. You know, I know your spiritual inclinations. He says, I know your works. I know your deeds. He doesn't say, I know your hearts. You're neither hot or cold. He says, I know your works. He's talking to the church. And to the church, he says, I know your works. As a church, your works are neither hot and your works are neither cold. They're lukewarm. He's not talking about hearts. He's not talking about individuals. And more than that, something else. Do we really think, do you really think that Jesus, this is something that's always bothered me about this, this verse, when he says, I would rather that you were either cold or hot. Now, do you really think that Jesus wants people to be cold, if cold means completely opposed to him? Now, the way that the reasoning goes, the way that usually this is explained is, he, uh, he wants, you know, hot people are good because at least you know, they're on fire, they're, they're, they're doing well. Cold people are, are better because are better than lukewarm people because cold people, you know, at least they're actively opposed to you. And if you're actively opposed, then at least, you know, you're taking it seriously. You know, if you hate Christ, that's better than just having, you know, yawning when, when he speaks. You know, because if you hate him, then at least there's some kind of recognition that there's something there to hate. But do you really think that's what he's saying? Does Jesus want people to hate him? I don't think so. I don't think he's saying, I wish, I wish you were either for me or absolutely, totally, completely against me. Uh, so I, I changed my mind. I looked at this and I said, he's talking to a church. He's not talking to individuals. He's talking about deeds. He's not talking about spiritual feelings. He's talking uh, in these either-or terms and says, both of these things are good. I'd rather you be one or the other, but not this middle thing. These two are good. And so it completely changed my mind about what I think Jesus is saying to us here. And here's what I think he's saying. I think he's talking about the usefulness of a church in its culture. He's talking about the usefulness of a church in its culture. Now, here's what I mean. Jesus is using the idea, the picture of a drink. All right, he says, he talks about, you know, spitting stuff out of his mouth. You know, what do you spit out of your mouth? You spit stuff out of your mouth that you drink. You put it in your mouth and drink. Actually, the word is much stronger than spit. Uh, it's the word vomit. There's a, there's a Greek word for spit. <laughs> it's really funny. The Greek word for spit is something like patui. <laughs> See, Josh will tell me I'm wrong, but it is what it looks like. It's something like, isn't it? It's like, it sounds like what it, it looks like what it sounds like. Patui, you know, that's a, like spittoon. Um, and that's not the word here. This is the word vomit. And I don't want to make the noise of vomit, but this is what, it's really vomit, you know, it's, it's not a uh, little, little spitting. It's a, it's a vulgar word. It's, it's nasty. It's something you don't want to hear about on Sunday morning. But Jesus said, uh, I'll spit you out of my mouth. I'll, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. So he's talking about taking a drink and then finding the drink disgusting, so disgusting that it makes you want to puke, if you don't mind me saying. Now, think about drinking things. Uh, he's talking about drinking. Think about drinking things. When, when do you ever want a cold drink of water? Do you ever want a cold drink of water? When? 
when you're, when, you're, when you're hot, when you're exhausted, when you've been working, when it's hot outside, you want cold water. Cold water is a good thing. Um, when, do you want, uh, when do you want hot drinks? Do you ever want a hot drink? Start out my day every day with a hot cup of coffee, even when it's 90 degrees outside. You know, but then, you know, when, you wanna, when it's cold outside, when you want to be warmed up, when you want to be, you know, you, hot drinks are good. Cold drinks are good. Hot drinks are good. Now, how many of you, um, when do you ever want to drink lukewarm water or lukewarm drinks? I had to tell my kids what lukewarm meant yesterday. Lukewarm, if you don't know, means, well, neither hot nor cold. You know, it means this, it's room temperature. It's nasty. So how many of you sit down and think, you know, well, one thing, what I want right now, I just, I've just got a craving. I've, I've got to get a lukewarm drink. Some, do any of you do that? Uh, you know, I, I drink coffee, and, uh, and sometimes I like my coffee hot, and in the summertime, at 90 degrees outside, I'll drink my coffee ice cold. You ever tried, if you haven't tried iced coffee, it's good. But what's bad is when the coffee's been sitting in the mug on my desk for two days, and I see it over there, and I'm like, yeah, there's a little coffee in there. Oh, man, that's a bad idea. You know, the, the, the cup. You go to you go to the drive-through at McDonald's and you get uh, you get Coke, and you drink about three quarters of it. Then you go into a store, and it sits there and the water melts, you know, <laughs> and you drink it, and it literally makes you want to throw up. It's sick. It's useless. So here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I want you to be useful in the kingdom. I want you to be useful in the culture. I want you to be good for something. Cold is good. Cold water is good. It's good for something. It's useful to people. It's, it's helpful to them. Hot drinks are good. It's useful to them. It helps them. Both of them are useful. But he's saying this church, this church is absolutely good for nothing. It's nauseating. When you, when you put it in your mouth, immediately you want to vomit it out. You want to spit it out. It's the cup of watered-down Coke that's been sitting in your car for a day or two. It's nasty. It's useless. It has no effect. It has no benefit. It has no uh, purpose in the culture. People don't come up and, 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 you know, when they come to this church in Laodicea, they taste blandness. They don't taste refreshment. They don't taste soothing from, from the warm cup of coffee or hot chocolate. They taste nothing. So what's useless about this church in Laodicea? What's it mean? What's it mean for this church to be lukewarm? We've already seen he's talking about their works. And over and over again in, in the first three chapters of Revelation, he says, I know your works. I know your deeds. Every time he speaks to the churches, I think. He says, I know your works. He's talking about their works. Now look at how he identifies himself in verse 14. When he identifies himself at the beginning of this letter, when he says, this is who I am, I'm writing to the church of Laodicea, the one... Here's the one who's speaking. He says in verse 14, to, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write this, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true, what? Witness. And there is always a, a direct connection between how he identifies himself in these letters to these seven churches and what he's trying to say to them, the main point he wants them to get. He says, listen, I am the faithful and true witness. Now read that in light of what he's saying to this church. Your problem is that you're useless. You aren't doing anyone any good. You're not a cold, refreshing drink. You're not a hot, soothing drink. 
You're lukewarm. You have nothing to offer to the people around you. You're nauseating. You make me want to puke. That's what Jesus says. Because they're useless. They're not doing anything in the culture. They're not engaging the culture. This church has lost its ability to witness to the glories and the judgments and the mercies of Jesus Christ to its community. That's what he's talking about. Now, what makes a church lukewarm in its impact on its culture? Well, as I thought about this, I thought, you know, what makes my cup of coffee lukewarm as it sits on my desk? What is it? It's affected by something, isn't it? If you have something cold and it becomes lukewarm, you know, the cup of of Coke in, in your car holder in the car and you go to the store and you come back and it's not cold anymore... It's the temperature has been brought up. It's been brought up to match the environment, right? The hot coffee on my desk, when I leave it for too long, the temperature comes down to become equal to that of its environment. It's exactly the same thing with churches. When a church becomes so affected by its culture that it is neither cold nor hot in comparison to the culture, it becomes lukewarm and utterly useless. And so the point is, Jesus is saying, if you're going to be a church, you need to be something. You need to be one or the other. Be hot, be cold, be something. Be something useful. Be out there. Be be engaging. Be different than the culture that you're in. Now, he's not talking about, and I'm not talking about being Amish. You know, we could be different than our culture. <laughs> We could be really different, you know. We could drive buggies. Uh, we could not use electricity. You women could wear doilies and, and bonnets, and we could not wear buttons because buttons, of course, are worldly. You know, we could have church in German. Boy, that'd be different, wouldn't it? Now, that's not what that's not what he's talking about when he's talking about being different. That's not what I'm talking about when I'm talking about being different from the culture. We need to speak the language. We need to speak the language of the real people who are listening. We need to use words people can understand. We need to dress in culturally appropriate ways. We need to engage people and love them where they are and and have friends and engage them. But we need to do all of that in a way that what we're saying to them in the words they can understand is truth. Real truth that's different than all of their assumptions. If the room temperature of the culture is no authority, then we need to be the cold water or the hot coffee of authority in our culture. That's something different. If authority is attacked, then we need to, we need to stand for authority because that means we'll be different. We'll be completely countercultural. If, if the room temperature of the culture is sexual perversion and confusion, then we need to be the cold water or hot coffee of sexual purity, of, 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 of precision, of, of really embracing the way that God made men and women and the roles that He has given them and the way that works out in detail. We need to embrace it. We need to be completely different. If the room temperature of the culture is feminism, we need to be the cold water or hot coffee of, of biblical manhood and womanhood in our culture. If the room temperature of the culture is hatred of absolutes, then we need to be the cold water or the hot coffee of really holding out absolute, solid, positive, definite truth 
Whatever it is that the culture is, whatever the environment we're in, we need to be biblically what is the opposite of that. That's what it means to be either hot or cold. If the room temperature of the culture is being open and affirming, then we need to be the cold water or hot coffee of loving rebuke in our culture. You've all seen the signs. You, You drive by the churches and they say we are an open and affirming community. Now, incidentally, I don't know if these words are still up here, if you have it in front of you. What does Jesus say? What does he say about the way he treats people he loves in these verses? Yeah. He says, those whom I love, I affirm. Right? Those whom I love, I accept just as they are. And we all get along, and it's okay, I understand, it's alright, don't worry. He says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Is that what you hear from our culture? Love equals reproof and discipline? No, our culture says love equals accepting and um, affirming. If your church, if our church does what the culture does already, we become lukewarm. The culture has brought us up to the temperature or down to the temperature of the culture. And we have nothing to say. Nothing to say. Now, if you struggle with sins, you know, the the open and affirming thing in churches is about homosexuality. And if you struggle with homosexuality, will you be welcome here? The answer is absolutely, positively yes. But we will welcome you in exactly the same way that Jesus welcomes you. He welcomes you. He will love you. We will love you. We will put our arms around you. We will love you. But we'll love you so that you can change. Jesus says, those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline. If you're killing yourself, if you're hurting yourself, if you're doing what you are not made to do, it is not love to accept it, and to affirm it. So this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if you're going to be a church, if you're going to be a church that I can, that Jesus can, can approve, that can give commendation to, that can say, yes, well done, we need to be a church that is actively seeking to be either hot water, hot coffee, cold water, something, something useful, something different to our culture. Now, where are we as a church with all of this stuff? Here's what I think. I think in general, we we like, as a church, we like being either cold water or hot coffee. We like coming here. We like hearing truth. We like like that. We think it's good. We're we're comfortable with that. We're all right with it. But I don't think that we think that the culture needs what we have. Culture doesn't need the cold water or the hot coffee that we have to offer. That's what I think. And I've talked to many of the, I've talked to the other pastors, we've talked to the elders, we've been talking about this off and on. And I think that many of us don't think that the people out there need what we have. Some of you have lots of friends who are not Christians, and I applaud you for that because a lot of us don't have any friends who are non Christians. And that's terrible. But a lot of you have friends who are non-Christians. And uh, 
Uh, Most of us have acquaintances, people we work with, people we go to school with, people we're neighbors to, but a lot of you have friends, there's a difference, who are not Christians. And I applaud you for that. But where are they? Where are they? Do you ever, do you ever, do you feel comfortable bringing them with you here? Do you think that, um, that the cold water or the hot coffee of this church will be too much of a shock to their system? I think that's what a lot of us think. You know, I like it. It's, it's all right for me. I understand where they're coming from. I, I understand. I, I know. I know what the Bible says. I understand that, you know, shocking stuff can be said, but it's okay. I'm, I'm used to it. it I, I've grown since I've been here. This is a good thing. It's been good for me to be at this church, Church of Good Shepherd. But, you know, I don't think my friends could handle it. I think I'd be embarrassed when the cold water comes out. I think I'd be embarrassed when the hot coffee comes out. I think they'd burn their lips, and I don't want them to burn their lips. I don't think they would like me as much if they knew what I really believed. If I come to this church and Pastor Bailey stands up here and says something that is kind of, you know, uncomfortable because it's not what's going on out there, and then they'll think that I agree with that, and I do, of course, but man, it's going to be weird, you know. (laughs) Thank you. Do you talk to them about what you know to be true? Okay, so forget about the bringing them to church thing. All right? Do you even talk to them? Are you personally cold water or hot coffee to them? It does no good at all, really, if the pastors or the elders or the deacons of this church are the cold water or hot coffee. It does absolutely no good, really, if it's just the people who are supposed to be that. You are the ones that really count. You are the church. Our job, the leadership job, is to get you all suited up so that you can go out there and engage the culture. That's our job. To get you ready. That's what Ephesians 4 says. It gives pastors, elders, teachers, prophets, all these things, so that We can equip you for the work of ministry. It's your job to do the work of the ministry. You're the ones who will be in contact with the people in this town. If you aren't doing it, then we're just playing around. And we don't want people in this church who think think of this church only as a haven to get away from the culture. We want people here who see it as the meaning of their life. The meaning of their life, not being a math student or a music student or an undergrad student or a worker or even a mother or a father. What they see as the meaning of their life is to engage the world of unbelievers with the love of Jesus Christ and the truth of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus. That's what we want to be about. There are all kinds of places where you can drift in and feel okay and drift out. We want to be something as a church. We have to be different. Either hot water, hot coffee, cold water, we have to be something. We have to be something in this town, useful in this town, by being different than this town. Otherwise, we'll make Jesus sick and we'll go down the toilet. 
Now, why is this church in Laodicea useless? Look at, look at verse 17. He says, you are lukewarm, you're neither hot nor cold, and here's why. Verse 17, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you're a wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. This is a useless church. It has nothing to offer. It's not refreshingly cold. It's not soothingly warm. Why? Because it thinks it's okay. It thinks it's okay. Well, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. We're fine. I'm rich. I've prospered. Things are going well. I don't need anything. And therefore, they have nothing to offer to the culture. The only way a church can be effective is for it to know that it's weak. The only way that we can be something is to know we're nothing. The church will never be something in its community if it ever thinks so highly of itself that it thinks it's all right, that it thinks it's arrived. Why is that? Over and over again, God tells us why. James 4, 6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. 1 Peter 5, 5, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The grace of God is the power of God. And if, if, if we as a church are proud, if we think we're okay, if we think we've got it all together, we think we've got it all figured out, we will have God opposing us, actively opposing us. And we will be nothing. Paul says, if anyone imagines, 1 Corinthians 8, 2, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. Galatians 6, 3, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. When, when, when Paul talks about himself and about the power of God resting on him, what does he say? You know the story, 2 Corinthians 12, he says, you know, this thing came to me. We don't know what it is. This thorn in the flesh. I, I went to God three times and asked Him to remove it from me. God said, no, no, no. Three times He answered me. And finally He says, shut up and stop asking, would you? My grace is sufficient for you. Why? Because power, my power, God says, is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So are we a proud church? I know, I know that some of you think we are. Um, I'm not saying we're not. But I think some of you think we are for the wrong reasons. Some of you think we're proud because we're willing to be very certain and very bold about the truth of God. And in our culture of relativism and niceness and tolerance, that looks like pride. I was telling my small group this the other day, a couple weeks ago. Really, the opposite is true. Think about it. When God has spoken clearly, when God has spoken boldly, when God has spoken very decisively, it is actually the height of pride and arrogance to hedge. Well, Jesus is the only way for Christians. That's what Billy Graham says now. For Christians, Jesus is the only way for Christians. Is that, is that humility? 
In our culture, it looks like humility. In the Bible, it looks like pride. Because God has clearly spoken. And who am I to change what God has clearly said? Who am I to doubt? Who am I to hedge? Who are we to be, yeah, I don't know, maybe, about things that God has said? This is truth. So, you might think we're proud because we're, we're, we're bold and, and convinced of certain things. I don't think that's pride. How are we proud? The Laodiceans say, I am rich, I prospered, I need nothing. How do we say that? If we can do anything without a sense of absolute desperation, then we are proud. And you know, you know what I think it is with us? I think it's our lack of prayer. I really do. Because we can come, we grease, the, we grease the machine, stoke the engine, wind it up. Of course, everything will be fine. We've, we've got skilled people in place. We've got all of our ducks in a row. Everything's all right. We know that nothing drastic is going to happen that'll like be some kind of failure, you know. Everything will be all right. Everything's okay. And there are two or three people back here praying for the service every Sunday morning. Two or three, maybe five. Today it was, well, I was late. I walked up to two men after they were done praying, so they humored me and prayed for me too. That's, that's, that's something. If we can rest on the fact that we get it right, that we have the right theology, the right music, the right church government, therefore we'll be okay, then we are proud. All of this is true of us, of course, not just as a church, but as individuals. Some of you are useless in the kingdom of Christ because you are self-satisfied and self-reliant and self-righteous. How can you possibly have anything to say? How can you possibly have the power of Christ resting on you? Well, what do we need to do in order to be useful in our community? We need to either be something, we need to be something, either hot or cold, but something. We can only be something when we finally figure out that we are nothing because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And third, the only way we can know that we're nothing is to want Jesus more than anything. And this is what Jesus says. Verse 18, I counsel you. Now that is so sweet as I thought about it. He doesn't say I command you. He doesn't say I urge you. He says, I counsel you. Think of the sweetness of that. Think of the love of that. Think of the tenderness. I counsel you. Here's what you need to do. Listen to me. Please do this. Here's what you need to do. You need to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may, not, so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Find your wealth in me. Find your righteousness in me. Find your healing and your sight in me. And he says these sweet words in verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you've heard that verse. Maybe it's the verse that someone told you as they were giving the gospel to you. Maybe you remember it from evangelism explosion if you've been trained in evangelism. And you know what? It has nothing to do with what he's talking about. <laughs> he's not talking about inviting Jesus into your heart. He's knocking on the door of this church. 
And in Laodicea, he's still on the porch. You know, he's the salesman. He's the, he's the bill collector. He's the, the meter reader. He's the guy coming, you know, looking for some kind of a, of, a, of a donation. But, you know, you'll talk to him on the porch. He's distant. He's removed. It's formal. It's cold. It's not intimate. He says, listen, here I am. You want to do something? You want to be something? Know that you're nothing and invite me in to help. You can't have a distanced, lip service, professional relationship with me. I want to come in and be intimate with you. That's what Jesus is saying. I think we can have a distanced, lip service, professional relationship with Jesus Christ as a church. And I think there are all kinds of symptoms that we could look for that would show us that. We need to let Him in. To let Him in. And let Him be intimate with us. Now, do you see the encouragement in that? Jesus rebukes and disciplines and counsels and urges us. Why? Because He loves us. And He makes outrageous promises to us if we will repent. He says, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my Father on His throne. To him who conquers what? To him who conquers all the stuff we're talking about. His pride, his own unbelief, his his self-reliance, his hatred of repentance, his hatred of rebuke, his hatred of discipline. If you conquer that, Jesus makes outrageous promises to you. To him who overcomes all of that, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. And that is what this table is about. It is about what Jesus Christ has done. Jesus Christ has conquered death and Satan and the damning power of the sins of everyone who will turn to him and believe in him. That's what this table is about. And Jesus is standing out here knocking and he wants to come and eat with us. Will we let him in? Will our humility call him in? Or will our pride keep him on the porch? This fellowship This intimacy with Jesus is only for those who do what Jesus says, who repent. Brothers, come and and serve us now. This intimacy, this fellowship with Jesus that He promises to us at this table is only for those who do what Jesus says. It's only for those who repent.